So there may be a million different reasons why you got out of bed, got dressed, and made your way to church this morning. But I like to think that at least one of the reasons why you're here, along with everything else, is that you want to take your next step toward Christ. And taking your next step toward Christ isn't something that just happens on its own. You're not going to just stumble into a closer relationship with God. It's not going to happen by accident. So if you want to take your next step toward Christ, you have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about it. And that's what we want to help you do at Melbourne Heights. We want to help you be intentional about taking your next step closer to Christ. And we do this through a series of steps. And this is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. We do this through a series of steps in this church. And you can think about it this way. If you wanted to get closer to me this morning, how would you do it? You would get up out of your pew, and you would take steps down the aisle, whatever it is, to come closer to me. So it only makes sense that the same thing happens with us in our relationship with God. If we want to get closer to God, we have to take steps toward him. So what steps do we need to take to get closer to Christ? Well, like I've said, we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, and we've been using this illustration that we'll put up on the screen. There are certain steps that we take along the way. And the first step that we need to take to grow closer to God is to worship him. And that sounds good, right? It looks good up on a screen behind me. It sounds like something that is fairly easy for us to do. But what does it mean when we say the first step that you need to take to grow closer to Christ is to worship him? Because there's something you need to realize. We all have a bad definition of worship inside of our world today. What we often think of worship as being is that hour that we spend sitting inside of a sanctuary on a Sunday morning each week. But that's not really what worship is. Sure, what we do in here is worship, but worship doesn't only happen inside of this place. So what is worship? Well, worship is what we do when we recognize that God is reaching out for us. Worship is what we do when we recognize that God is reaching out for us. So whenever you recognize that God is at work, that God is reaching out for you, you are worshiping God. And just take a second, look at that statement up on the screen, and think about what it is saying to you. God. The God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, including you, is reaching out for you. How incredible is that? How amazing is that? That God, very God of very God, is reaching out into your life. God is reaching out for you. So the first step for us to grow closer to God is to recognize that God is reaching out for all of us. That's why I, spend, I challenged you over this past week to spend some time trying to recognize and see how God is reaching out into your life because you have to see that if you're ever going to grow closer to God. You have to recognize how God is working and celebrate that to begin growing closer, to take your first steps toward God. Now, once you recognize that God is reaching out into your life, there are certain, there are other reactions that you are going to have as part of worship. And the first reaction that you're going to have when you find out that God is reaching out into your life is you should want to praise God. Now, notice I said praise. I didn't say thank God. 
thanks is part of praise, but it's not all there is to praise. Because a lot of times when we thank God, it's like when we sit around the Thanksgiving table with our family and our moms or our dads or whoever make us say, what are you thankful for this year? And we're like, yeah, I'm thankful for the food on the table and all that. That's how we usually approach Thanksgiving inside of our lives. We don't get excited about it. But praise is so much more than just Thanksgiving. It's about really celebrating what God is doing inside of our lives. So over the last week, I found a great video to show you what it looks like when we celebrate God. Now, this video was taken a couple of weeks ago uh, during the Minnesota Vikings playoff game against the, Saint Louis, or against, uh, the New Orleans Saints. And if you watch the game, you kind of know how the situation unfolds. There's 10 seconds left in the game, and the Vikings are down 23 to 24. So they're down one point in the game. Now, statisticians will tell you that they had a 3% chance of winning this game on the last play of the ball game. And this was for a chance to go on and play in the conference championship, um, which unfortunately the Vikings lost last Sunday, but that's how it goes sometimes. So they had a 3% chance of winning this game, advancing to the conference championship. And that's when the Vikings quarterback, a guy named Case Keenum, throws a 61-yard touchdown pass to Stephen Diggs. And this video is going to show you how one fan celebrated. So just watch this celebration. Get out of bounds. Get out of bounds. Out of bounds, out of bounds. That's how we should celebrate God, right? I mean, did you pay attention to the video? This guy held nothing back in his celebration of the Vikings' playoff win. He ran around his house. He was screaming. He was shouting. He was dancing. He was using moves that I think he probably regretted the next morning. He was jumping over furniture. He was so exuberant, my favorite part of the whole video, so excited that his dog has to come and check and make sure he's okay. That's how we should celebrate God. We should get so excited, so exuberant that our dogs even have to check and make sure we're okay. Because God is reaching out for you. And as cool as it is to watch your team win a big game, it's not better than knowing that God is reaching out into your life. So we should be willing to let go and just celebrate those moments where we recognize that God is reaching out for us. That's how we're supposed to celebrate. That's how we're supposed to praise God. We're supposed to let absolutely nothing stand between us and God. And in that moment in that video, that guy let absolutely nothing stand between him and celebrating what was happening for his team. But that's just one reaction that we should have when we recognize that God is reaching out for us. I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning thinking about another way that we should react when we recognize that God is reaching out for us. And to do this, I want you to think back in your life a little bit. I want you to think back to high school. Maybe you have to go back to middle school, but I want you to think back to a time in your life when you found out that somebody liked you. And you know what I'm talking about here? Somebody liked you. Maybe it was that cute little girl in your homeroom class or that cute little boy in study hall, but you found out that they liked you. 
one of your buddies came up to you, nudged you in the ribs a little bit and said, hey, so-and-so likes you. They have a crush on you. How did you react? What did you want to do with that good news? Well, if you're anything like me, when you received that good news, what you wanted to do is you wanted to spend more time with this person. It didn't even know if you knew their, if you mattered, if you knew their name beforehand. Once you found out, oh, they like me? All right, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to get to know this person a little bit better along the way. So it only stands to reason that if we want to spend more time with cute little boys, cute little girls that like us, that, that we should want to spend more time with a God who doesn't just like us, but a God who is, on, who is for us, a God who is reaching out into our lives. But here's the problem with that. When you find out that that cute little girl, that cute little boy likes you, it's pretty easy to figure out how to spend more time with that person, right? I mean, they are a physical being. So all you got to do is pick a time and pick a place, and you can go and you can spend time together in their presence. But with God, it's a little trickier than that. It's a little trickier than just arranging a date between teenagers for us to really feel like we are in the presence of God. And as a matter of fact, one of my favorite series in all of Scripture, a series of stories, tells us just how hard it is for us to really feel like we are in the presence of God. So go ahead and grab your Bible this morning, whether it's a printed one or you've got an app on your phone, and turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings is in the Old Testament, and it's the first volume in a two-volume series of history of Israel. And specifically, the books of First and Second Kings are telling us about the kings of Israel. And what you're going to find is you're going to find out what happens to these kings, what happens to Israel when the kings are good and righteous and they follow God. And you're also going to find out what happens to these kings when they don't follow God so well. And that's what's, where the story is going to pick up for us here. We are find out about a king in First Kings chapter 19 that is a pretty bad king, a king that does not follow God at all. And we're actually told inside of the book of Kings that this king, a guy by the name of Ahab, is, is someone who has done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. Okay, so he is a bad king along the way. And the worst thing that Ahab does, the thing that really marks his place in history, is he marries a princess from Sidon whose name is Jezebel. And Jezebel, well, it's safe to say that she was a Jezebel. She was wicked, she was shameless. And the worst thing that she does is when she becomes queen of Israel, she brings the gods of Sidon with her. And she expects her new subjects, the people of Israel, to worship her gods rather than the one true God. But God, just because the king of Israel and the queen of Israel have turned their backs on God, that doesn't mean that God has turned his back on the people of Israel. So God sends to them a prophet, someone who will speak on behalf of God, a guy, a guy who will continue to lead the people of Israel back to God, a, a prophet by the name of Elijah. And in 1 Kings 19, we start seeing that it's not always easy. It can be a little disheartening for somebody like Elijah, somebody who has to stand up against your king and your queen and all of the power that they have. So let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start reading in verse 1. That's what it says. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message, May the gods do whatever they want to me if by this time tomorrow I haven't made your life like the life of one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and he ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into a desert, a day's journey. 
He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down and he slept under that solitary broom bush. So it's pretty clear to see in this passage that Elijah, he's down in the dumps. He's depressed. He's really at the end of his rope inside of this passage. But there's something really interesting that happens in this series of stories. There's an interesting thing that happens right before Elijah starts feeling so down in the dumps, so depressed, like he's at the end of his ropes. And it's a story where Elijah has a showdown with Jezebel and all of the prophets of her gods at a place called Mount Carmel. And I know Mount Carmel sounds like it's a better place to build Willy Wonka's chocolate factory than it sounds like a place where you should encounter God. But Elijah is about to meet God in this place. So here's the basic rundown of what happens. Elijah is sick and tired of seeing the the gods of Baal, their priests, their priestesses, running roughshod over Israel. So he challenges them to a showdown. And this is how the showdown is going to work. He challenges them to build an altar, to kill a bull, and to prepare it to be sacrificed to their gods. But here's the catch. They, the prophets of Baal, of these false gods, they can't provide the fire. If their gods want to have this sacrifice, they have to provide the fire themselves. Lightning bolts from heaven, something along those lines. So that's exactly how the story plays out. The prophets of Baal, uh, of Jezebel's, the gods of her country, they come, they build their altar. They get their wood, they make everything perfect, they they kill their bull, they lay it on the altar, they prepare it, it is completely ready for sacrifice, and then they start praying to their gods to consume their altar with fire. They pray from sunup to sundown. Nothing seems to happen. It gets so bad that Elijah, who's kind of standing off at the side over here, looking at everything that's happening, he starts running, offering some play-by-play, some commentary along the way. He's like, um... Hey guys, maybe your God is on vacation right now. He's someplace else in the world. Maybe you need to talk a little bit louder so your God will hear you. Or, or maybe, maybe it's past his bedtime and he's napping right now. Could you pray a little bit louder for him? Maybe there's something else that's going on, something far more important than burning up your little sacrifice. Why don't you call out to your God a little bit louder? But nothing happens at all. Sun up to sun down. They pray and their sacrifice sits. Then it's Elijah's turn. So Elijah does the exact same thing. He builds his altar, he gets the wood, he prepares it, he kills the bull, lays the bull on the altar. And then Elijah, because he's a prophet, and prophets are a little bit known to do this sometimes, he gets a little crazy. He gets a little crazy, and he takes it a little bit farther than any of us would have expected. He looks at the people around him, and he says, okay, here's my altar, here's the the stones, here's the wood, here's the bull. This is what I want you to do. Dig a trench around it. Dig a trench around this entire altar. And once the trench was dug, he said, okay, now here's the next thing I want you to do. Go and get water. Go and get water and drench the sacrifice, the altar, the bull. Put so much water on this that the trench I just had you dig is going to be overflowing with water. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been camping or you've ever tried to start a fire, you know, with like two sticks or anything along those lines, but there's a very simple rule of science that plays out here. You can't start a fire with wet wood, okay? So what Elijah does is he makes it 
almost impossible. He actually makes it impossible for this altar to be consumed, for this sacrifice to be burned. But here's the amazing part of the story. After Elijah has done all of this, after his bull, after his altar, after everything is drenched and the water is overflowing from the trench around it, he steps forward and he says a prayer. He says, let it be known today that you are Israel's God. And before Elijah can say amen, boom, it's gone. The whole thing is gone. The bull is burnt up. The wood is burnt up. The, the stones that the altar was made up are burnt up. And all of the grass surrounding it, all of the water in the trench are completely gone. So in this moment, Elijah has one of the most unbelievable, most unimaginable encounters with God that I could even begin to fathom. There is no doubt that God has reached down into Elijah's life in this moment. And this all happens before, right before, Elijah runs for his life. This all happens right before Elijah flees from Jezebel. This all happens right before Elijah feels depressed, down in the dumps, like he's at the end of his rope. How in the world can that happen? How in the world is that possible with everything that he just saw and everything that he just experienced that he could feel so far from God? Well, here's what happens. It's really simple. In spite of the amazing thing that just happened right before his eyes, Elijah is immediately distracted from it. Instead of basking in the glow of the aftermath of what God had just done, Elijah's distracted by what Jezebel is saying. That's all it is. Elijah is just distracted from what God just did by what somebody over here is doing. So Elijah has turned his entire attention away from God because of Jezebel. Elijah can't be in God's presence because Elijah's focus is absent in the story. And that's nice, it's fun, great little stories to tell, but what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with me? Well, here's what I want you to hear this morning. You're just like Elijah. I'm just like Elijah. We all struggle to be in God's presence because our focus is absent too. We all struggle to be in God's presence because our focus is absent too. There's a field of science. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a field of science that is called interruption science. And that alone should tell you something about our culture, that we have so many interruptions that there has to be a field studying all of these interruptions that we have. But what interruption science tells us is that we, on average, are interrupted in our daily life every three minutes. Every three minutes, your life gets interrupted by something. That means that over the course of a typical day, you have more than 300 interruptions in your life. It could be your phone ringing. It could be somebody sending you a text message. It could be somebody coming to your door and knocking on the door. It could be a car backfiring half a block down the road that just pulls your attention away. It could be, you know, when you're, sitting, when you're getting ready to make dinner, your dog getting under your feet and distracting you from the work that you want to do. It could be that guy in the next cubicle over whistling while he works. Because the only thing worse than a coworker who whistles in an open office is the one who microwaves fish in the office microwave, okay? Distractions. They surround us all the time, and with 300 interruptions a day, is there any wonder that our focus is constantly absent? So what do we do to get focused? What do we do to regain our focus? 
Well, for that, let me encourage you to keep reading in 1 Kings with me. Picking back up in the second half of verse 5. This is what it says. Then suddenly a messenger tapped Elijah, and he said to him, Get up, go eat something. Elijah opened his eyes, and he saw flat bread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. And he ate, and he drank, and then he went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time, and he tapped him on the shoulder, and he said, Get up, the messenger said. Eat something, because you have a difficult road ahead of you. So Elijah got up, he ate, and he drank, and he went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave, and he spent the night. And the Lord's word came to him, and he said, Why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars, and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they want to take my life too. And the Lord said, go out. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is going to pass by. And a very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound. Thin, quiet, whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and he stood at the cave's entrance. And a voice came to him and spoke. So I want you to recognize what's happening in this passage. When God seems to be a million miles away from Elijah, he brings. I want you to see what God does to bring Elijah back into his presence. And what God does is he brings Elijah to a mountainside. And he tells him to wait for the Lord's to come by. And while he's waiting, there's a wind that tears through the mountain, causing stones to fall around the way and shatter and shake. And then an earthquake hits, and then a fire comes along. So in this moment, Earth, wind, and fire all come to distract Elijah, not by inviting him to a boogie wonderland. All right, there's like five people who are earth, wind, and fire folks inside of here. All of these things, they come and they distract Elijah. They come trying to pull his focus away from God passing by. But then, silence. And in the silence, Elijah enters God's presence. In the silence, Elijah enters God's presence. And when he enters God's presence, God speaks. God whispers to him. Now, if you've been around the church for long, you've probably heard this story somewhere along the way. Have you ever, but have you ever wondered, why does God speak to Elijah in this gentle whisper. Why does God speak in this still, small voice, as we're used to hearing this passage translated? What is it about a whisper? I mean, because God can communicate any way that God wants. God can shout, and you better believe the earth is going to shake around you if God shouts. Why does he whisper? Well, there's two things that you need to realize about a whisper. First of all, if I stood up here and I started trying to whisper to you, you were all going to focus a little bit better. Because you have to try to hear a whisper. 
So God speaks to Elijah through a whisper because God wants Elijah to focus in on him. And then there's something else about a whisper that you need to realize happens too. When you whisper, people automatically come closer to you. They want to hear what you're saying, so they are going to move closer to you, even if it's just, if it's just a shift in your body language. They shift closer. So God speaks in a whisper because God wants Elijah Come close to him. God whispers because God wants Elijah to be focused only on God and so that Elijah will come closer to him. And in that moment, Elijah learns something really important. Elijah learns that his ticket to enter into God's presence is silence. Same's true for you. Your ticket to enter God's presence is silence. But we stink at silence, right? We are awful at silence. Let me give you an example. It took five seconds before somebody started to chuckle. We stink at silence. When you get in the car, what's the first thing that you do? You turn on the radio. When you get home, what's the first thing that you do? You turn on the television set. When you go out to work in the yard or go for a run or whatever it is, you pop in your earbuds so that you don't have to deal with silence. We stink at silence. That's why 300 times over the course of the day, we can get interrupted by anything and everything that comes along the way. But when we recognize that God is reaching out for us, we should want to be in God's presence. And the only way to enter into God's presence, the ticket to God's presence, is our silence. We have to be quiet. Because we fill the world around us with so much noise that we can't hear anything. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to find 30 minutes, continuously, all in a row, to just sit in silence. That means you turn your phones off, you turn the TV off, you talk to your spouse, your kids, whatever you need to, and say, I am just going to go and be in silence for half an hour. 30 minutes. And I'm going to give you a little tip because you're going to get distracted. It's going to feel like the earth is shaking around you, like the wind is howling outside, like a fire is roaring around you the entire time you're trying to sit in silence. And you're going to think about a billion different things while you're sitting there. You're going to have some of the best ideas you've ever had in your entire life. But those are all distractions for you. Okay? We have to get past the distractions to enter into the silence. So while you're doing this, I encourage you to just find, find a simple word, a simple phrase that you can repeat whenever you feel your mind getting pulled away from that moment of silence. Whatever it is. Speak to my heart, Lord. Simple, along the way. But find something that you can return to while your brain is trying to wander a million different ways because I said we stink at silence. We can't even quiet down our brains long enough to just sit in peace. And it's going to feel weird. It's going to be hard. Set a timer on your phone so you know when 30 minutes pass up or you know, however you need to do it. But find 30 minutes to just be silent. And when you do this, you're going to feel something that you haven't felt before. 
you're going to feel different than you've ever felt before. And you might just feel that for the first time in a long time, you have actually been fully present with God. If you don't believe me, try it. Try it for yourself. Enter that time and wait. Wait to be with God. Through, here's what we've talked about when it comes to worship so far. We've talked about worship as recognizing that we, the, that God is reaching out for each of us. And when we recognize that God is reaching out for us, we should want to praise God and we should want to enter into God's presence. But this is just part of what it means for us to worship God. Next week, we're going to go a little bit further. But right now, let me pray for you. God, we just want to thank you for the time that we've had together in this place this morning, the chance that we've had to be reminded of what worship is all about. God, help us to do a better job of recognizing you are at work around us all the time, that you are reaching out into our lives. Help us to do a better job of celebrating you and letting nothing stand between us and you. And help us to do a better job of seeking out silence. From time to time, simply be with you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.